All right, you guys. How's it going? And welcome back to a new episode of Just So We're Clear, brought to you by myself, Hanley Hofer. Hello. And my co-host, Marissa True. Hi, guys. <laughs> Whoa, you sounded like Mickey Mouse. <gasps> oh, my you God. Like you a- nailed you nailed Mickey Mouse with that. What's his actual line? I wonder if I could say it. I don't think Mickey has a, a line. Does he not? I know what there's one bit where he's like, see you real soon. And that's all I got. Oh, my God. <laughs> you are... You're blowing my mind with your Mickey Mouse impressions. <laughs> it's just this uh it's just this audio experience that we're letting everyone in on. <laughs> we're talented guys. <laughs> we can do we can do Disney voices. Um but no, hello, welcome back to a new episode. If you guys have been following the journey so far, we're pretty like we're 11 episodes into season 2. This is pretty yeah, impressive. Uh, yeah, so uh give us a break for taking the week off. We needed a minute. We are tired, but we're back with more important content and more important lessons for us all to learn because today we're talking about cash money, but not like just what to do with it, but how to invest it. Because after our episode with Anna Hautanto from The New Savvy, a lot of you messaged us asking, okay, but dig more into investment. How do I actually get started? Why should I do it? So that's what we're doing today. Yes. And here's the thing. When it comes to finances, it's always been very personal, very hush-hush. I don't know about you, but I mean, I was brought up to believe that it's almost rude to talk about money publicly. Oh, yeah, for sure. Was that in your household as well? Yeah, I remember once asking my dad, and I don't know why I asked this. I was just like, are we poor or are we rich? And he just went, never ask me that question again. And I didn't. But yeah, I think... I think somewhere in my household as well, it was almost like, oh, we don't, you know, I don't know why, but it was just not openly talked about as much as I, I think I needed. And I don't think we're alone in that because even with our friendships and our day to days, it's very rare that you see people openly talk about their finances. And of course, everyone has their reasons. But when it comes to knowing what to do with your money, this can be where it gets a bit confusing for some of us because, well, just that there's so much to do where do we begin yeah so i mean i feel like everyone had the basic upbringing principle of save your money like save something but then no one really taught us anything past that like no one taught us how do we you know how do we make sure our savings grow how do we make sure that our savings aren't losing value which i didn't know was a thing until i started learning about investment um which is why we're here yeah so I think like with all episodes, when we dive into topics, Marissa and I are going to get a little personal about our views on this. We asked you guys to share some of your answers with us when we put out an Instagram poll, which we'll be doing a lot more of because we love interacting with you guys and we get quite a lot of responses as well. So I think it works both ways. So one of the first questions we asked you out there on the gram. Also, y'all are funny. Like every time you guys write in, I'm laughing. Okay, so I'll start with the first one. The first question we asked you guys was, what are you doing with your savings? Two of the answers were, sitting in a bank or savings, what savings? Hmm. A lot of you guys, 62% of you guys said that your savings are sitting in a bank. Marissa, what are you doing with your savings? I actually am proud to say that I do have savings and they are doing absolutely nothing in a bank account, which is... It's good. I mean, I, I have I have something to rely upon, but you know, now I'm kind of asking bigger questions around it. 
which brings me to the next question we asked, which is honestly, have you ever thought about investing? And 85% of you said yes, and 15% of you said no. However, when we asked, you know, did anyone teach you about investing? Only 22% of you said yes, which was really shocking. Almost 80% of you have never been taught about investing. I mean, and like add us to that list because we didn't have a clue. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's why we're going into this pretty one-on-one, a little deep. For sure, later on in the episode, things can get a little technical, but just bear with us, guys. I even advise for this episode, take some notes. There are some keywords that are going to get thrown up that are worth us looking into further. Oh, also, we totally forgot to mention, but you probably saw from the title that it's not just Marissa and I going around in circles about personal finance. We did get another expert on board, and this time we have Amanda Ong. Yeah, so Amanda Ong works for StashAway, which is a digital wealth manager, and it also functions as an app that basically helps people invest. And they're also great as like an education tool. They have all these seminars. I think they even have their own podcast and teaching people the basics of finances, which has been super helpful for me personally. So yeah, tune in later for a bit more of that, because she's going to break everything down from why it's important to how to get started. Yeah, so like we were sharing before, when it comes to the statistics, 78% to us, I'm going to just round it up, 80% of us didn't actually have anyone teach us about investing. So you're not alone. Marissa and I are part of that. That's why we think it's about time we learned. Um, and for the 22% of you who did learn about investing, we asked you who taught you. And people cited all types of books or other podcasts or people on Instagram or your family. So there's not like one you know, place that people got their information on investing is very widespread, which adds to, I guess, the other 78% of us having more of a reason to not know where to look in the first place. There's just so much out there. So we're narrowing it down for you guys. Yeah. And I, that, I mean, that also feeds into the next question, which was, do you find it intimidating? And pretty much the same number around 80% of people said, yes, absolutely. Because like, there are too many resources out there. Like you don't know where to begin. Like Hanley, when we first started talking about investment, which we did a few weeks ago after our first finance episode, like what was going through your mind? <laughs> I felt like a kid in school again, but it was also one of those feelings in our young adult lives where we're like, oh yeah, we're adulting now. You're like, oh, this is, this is for real. It's just those little steps that we take to becoming mature, I guess, for lack of better words. Um, and of course, it's intimidating. Growing up is intimidating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think that's why we're basically shifting it from finding this topic intimidating and then reframing it in a way where it feels empowering. So we actually start getting excited about investing our money and trying to understand how it all works. Because I mean, yeah. I'm not going to lie, after our chat with Amanda, I was genuinely motivated I actually made my first investment immediately after we recorded. So, you know, we're making moves. Like, I'm, I'm happy. I'm ready. I'm excited. I'm a little bit nervous. It, that's not going to change. But, you know, I think we should all get started. But I mean, like, let's go through some of the reasons people gave for what puts you off starting. Like, Hanley, wait, have you actually started investing yet? So I have looked into it further, but I've made a goal for myself that by the end of 2020, I want to make some moves. I want to start. I want to start an investment portfolio. So I'm headed, I'm headed in the right direction. But reasons that I have not started in the first place, 
And to be completely frank was because I didn't, I think it's my own limiting beliefs. I think that, you know, I kind of fell into, unfortunately, the gender role of, oh, like, you know, like as a girl, I, I just was never shared enough about finance. I always saw men in that industry. And I just, I guess it's like I fell into, I was a victim of misrepresentation that I didn't see enough women talking about it or owning it or, or being in that world that I just didn't put together that I could also be one of them. So when it came to taking my finances further than just your average savings and, and whatnot, I just, I just wouldn't even think about it. You know what I mean? And, and it's kind of embarrassing to admit, but I wouldn't be surprised if I'm not the only one. And I think also I felt a little young for a lot of it. You know, when you see the terms mm-hmm. like investment and you see people talking about money, there is like a maturity to it. And, and mm-hmm. like I said at the beginning, it's part of growing up. So I think I was limited by my own beliefs and my own maturity to be like, this is something I need to take on for myself. But as I am unlearning, well, you learn so much from unlearning as we are learning throughout <laughs> this year. Um, as I'm lear- unlearning that about myself, uh, I am now like running out of reasons, which is why I'm so motivated to start. Yeah, what I think it's, just, it's really ironic to me because I, I fully understand why it kind of feels like guys have a better sense of what they're doing in this arena, despite us now being in a position where a lot of us are, you know, we're all financially independent women. But in terms of, you know, we generate an income, but then we don't know how to like take that further. We don't know how to grow that even more and like make it another asset to us. We just see money as something we earn, but not something we kind of cultivate as something else. And I mean, the academic in me, when I first started to really understand this stuff, really lit up. Like I I, I kind of, I want to go back to school a little bit. Like I kind of slapped myself on the wrist for not having started earlier. And I know everyone says, oh, you know, it's never too late to begin. But I just feel like if I had known it was this simple before, I would have done it before. And I feel like I would be farther along in understanding, I guess, the like the fundamentals of how money works in this world a bit better. But, you know, no time like the present. That's right, girl. So anyway, let's share the um, some of our followers' answers, right? This was a very common one, but a lot of us seem to be scared of starting. A lot of people were saying they were scared of making the wrong decisions, scared that they don't know what they're doing, scared because they don't know where to start, scared because money is very personal and it means a lot to people. And of course, there's risk involved in all of this. So they're scared of the risk. Um, so yeah, we're in fear. But you guys, you know what conquers fear? Knowledge. we know how to read (laughs) so the only way to overcome that fear guys is by facing it straight on um and jumping into it yeah and there was a couple answers where people were saying my fear is that i won't have enough cash to support my family on the side which is obviously like another realm of discussion because you can't really invest in what you don't have or you can't invest money that you need to serve another purpose. But hopefully after this discussion, we'll, we'll maybe frame it in a way that gives you another option or like another avenue to try it. Or, you know, if it's just not the, it's like the stage of life that you're currently in and it's something that you do have to consider down the line, it's still important lessons to learn, I reckon. Yeah, guys, 
Uh, so Marissa and I are recording this intro after we already chatted with Amanda. But honestly, after we had that chat with her, I don't know about you, Marissa, but I was feeling so much more confident in my relationship with money, even just from that chat. So if I benefited from it in such a way, I'm pretty sure you guys will too. I'm so excited for you guys to now sit back, grab a pencil, grab a notepad, take some notes and get into this with us. So without further ado, should we do it? Let's go. Um, so thank you so much for being on the show with us. You're basically here to teach us very, very quickly all about how to invest our personal finances. But um, first of all, I want to frame the topic around why this is something we need to discuss. Like why, why is investment such an important topic for us as women? So I think, you know, something that most women don't actually know or talk about is the fact that um, if you look at, you know, Singapore, uh, where we would, you know, generally consider ourselves a very uh, kind of equal society, um, the numbers actually kind of um, point otherwise. So for, for Singapore, for example, uh, more than 70% of women actually leave uh, the financial decision making uh, to their spouse. Uh, 20% of women um, share in the financial decision-making with their uh, partners and 8% of them take the lead themselves. Um, this is not just the case for Singapore, but you see very similar numbers in countries like Hong Kong uh, and even in Europe as well. So majority of women actually do leave financial decision-making um, to their spouse. And the problem that you know kind of ends up happening here is that at the end of the day, if something were to happen, uh, something unexpected happens, um, you know, uh, typically the woman will not know where things like the bank account is at, um, who to contact to get access to the funds. Um, this is actually an issue that I have with my uh, with my mom myself, uh, where for years I've been trying to get her to, you know, be a little bit more involved with understanding where everything is kept. Um, because if something happens tomorrow, um, she would probably have no idea, you know, who is the relationship manager at the bank to contact. Um, you know, how much is actually at the bank accounts. Uh, and then when she inherits, I guess, um, the full investment portfolios, what to actually do with that. So I think this is a problem that is not just, um, you know, this is something that we face uh, every single day. And it's not to say that, you know, you or, you or me, um, we are people that fall within um, that, that majority um, number. But if you look at it, more than 70%, there is a good chance that, um, you know, our friends, our sisters, moms and daughters, they are, they would fall into that category. And so raising awareness about it is something that uh, I think it's very, very important. One quick question about the numbers you raised. Is this mainly for like single income households or is it for even if it's dual income, like the woman is also earning? Yeah, so it is a mix. So you have certain, you know, cases where uh, it is uh, the spouse is the sole breadwinner. Um, actually, and actually the top 10, uh, top three reasons that people actually state for um, not wanting or women not wanting to be involved in the financial decision making is the first of all, is the fact that they say that um, their spouse is a sole breadwinner and that makes, and that kind of gives them a right um, to take charge of the financial decision making. Um, the second reason that's given is because is that, um, you know, their spouse may know more about the topic than they do. And finally, that the last one is that uh, they take a divide and conquer approach. So these are some of the common reasons, but we do see a mix. So it's typically people that, um, you know, it's families where um, the husband is a sole breadwinner, but you also see this in cases where uh, the woman is working as well and they just kind of leave it to, to their spouse to handle all of the 
uh, finances and investments. Yeah, I mean, I find that really interesting that that's that our statistic in Singapore is really high because, like you stated, we are like that that image of the modern city and our mindset as well. But yet, we are still stuck in these gender roles and households, and the cycle continues from households. You know, we don't see our mothers being like financially empowered. Maybe as daughters, we're not you know kind of given a push to think about our own finances. So it continues. And uh, this can be a problem. Yes, exactly. I mean, I was thinking about in terms of, I think that's probably the sort of financial relationship that my parents have, even though, you know, my mom is also earning, but it's sort of always been a collective decision. But I think it came down to, you know, my dad knows more about whether it's investment, savings plans, retirement, all that sort of stuff. But I think, I think you framed it in a way that it's almost quite scary because it becomes a bit of a security risk if, you know, worse comes to worse, we have a, an emergency or like someone is in hospital or for God forbid they pass away and we have no idea what the first step is to managing our own finances. Like that's yeah. terrifying. Yeah. And actually even like even around discussions with my friends, it's almost become just such like a expectation that you know, sadly, us as women don't really know that much about investing and finances that we can even joke about it. We even like say it in jest, like, oh, I don't know, don't ask me, because it's just become so normalized, which, you know, I've def- I've definitely like have made jokes out of it, like, well, I don't know, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, husband does that, but until now, because we're taking the reins. That's right. We have we money. <laughs> exactly. We, we're in our late 20s and we did some things right. So now what? Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. And I, this is exactly some, you know, you see something I see every single day as well. And I think it really boils down to the fact that, you know, people don't know where to start. There's just so many options out there. And it gets quite intimidating sometimes when you're um, you're seeing ads every single day. You have multiple options. You just don't know where is a good place to start. Yeah. And I think... I think when you get, you know, you get calls from banks, from wealth managers saying that, you know, they want to help you manage your assets. And you're like, I don't know if I have any assets. Or, you know, you if you do talk to typically your guy friends, and they are active in investment, and you say, okay, how do I get in the game? I feel like there's they're they're so far involved that they'll speak about it in a language that isn't accessible, at least for, you know, a total novice or a total beginner. But I think it's also not, like you said, not understanding that there are different options and different entry levels because, you know, and there's obviously different forms of investing, which is something that we're going to have to get into. But, but like, so now we've kind of like, we've understood like the why of it. I want to talk about how we start. Like the simplest question is when is a good time to think about starting to invest? Um, so this is a question I get quite a lot, right? And a lot of times people wait for that perfect time. Um, sometimes it's, it's what we call trying to time the market. They're trying to go in when they think it's the perfect time. And to be honest, it's, you know, now is as good a time as any. Um, things that I wish I did was, you know, when I was, when I was younger, when I first graduated, I did, I studied, you know, finance and investments uh, in university. And when I came out, I went straight out to work for a bank and was basically doing, dealing with investments uh, every single day. And I just did not have the time to even manage my own investments. And I very much wished that I started doing that way earlier uh, when I first graduated, but I did not. I only started doing it more recently. Um, so for young investors, they have the advantage on their side of kind of the value of compounding. 
right? So the earlier you start, um, the more, you know, the more time you have to compound um, the funds that you have. And I think this is the biggest advantage. And for them, uh, it's really starting to think about setting up a long-term investment plan um, that, you know, details how much you have to save every month uh, and thinking about, you know, what you need to do to stick to that investment plan. So, so last, uh, so during our money episode with Anna Hautanto, she was talking about you should basically, she was giving us tips on, you know, how much you should save. And one of the frameworks she used was having about a year's worth of living expenses to have stored away as security. But then like, how do we know when we're financially ready to invest? Like, you know, if we're, if we're building that up, can we still invest at the same time? Or is it something we wait until we have that money cash, like stashed yeah. away? Like, is there a certain like, like a uh, salary that we should be hitting that we know that we're ready? Or is there a certain amount in the bank that we've already been saving since we started working that it's kind of the green light for us to feel safe to do this? Like, how do we know? So I think typically when you're starting out, so we, you know, just to share, um, you know, we I've seen investors who are fresh out of college um, and they obviously, you know, some of them have not started working uh, and they are still getting, you know, um, money from their parents and they're actually putting my, part of that money aside every month to invest. Um, and that logic of actually keeping um, a year's worth of expenses is right. And it's typically what we call setting up an emergency fund. Um, and so for these funds, you typically want to keep it in, in a very kind of low risk option, um, just so that in emergencies, let's say, you know, for whatever reason, if you do lose your job, for example, you are able to tap on these cash quite quickly. Um, so setting up the emergency is very, uh, emergency fund is, uh, very important, but anything kind of beyond that, um, you can start to look to actually invest it. Um, so, you know, as you are also building up, uh, your emergency funds, typically, especially if you are younger, um, three to six months worth of uh, emergency funds should be a good place to start. And then as you are growing uh, your emergency fund to that one year mark, I would say a portion of that can also be invested as well. So then if you're looking at it as a proportion of what you're taking in every month, then how much money should we be putting in as a proportion of our income or our savings? Yeah. So there is a commonly known rule called the 50-30-20 rule. Okay. Um, which is that you, you know, so if you think about your monthly salary is 100% of your funds, 50% of that you keep aside to meet kind of necessities, um, you know, things that you would need to spend on no matter what, um, like rent, things like that, mortgage, if you have that, um, and then 30% on kind of, uh, daily expenses. So food, um, kind of, you know, if you want to go out to restaurants, um, buy you know, things, bags, shoes, um, that's 30% of the funds that you're setting aside. And then 20% of your savings, you are actually saving and preferably investing that fund. So one big problem um, that we see, uh, not just in Singapore, but in Asia, is that people love to keep their money in cash. So 45% of Asian households actually keep their money in cash. In North America, that number is 13%. So in Singapore in particular, that number is 37%. Uh, so we very much like to keep our funds in cash, but the problem with that is that when you're keeping your money just in a bank account, um, you're earning, you know, less than 1% in interest and the rate of inflation is at 2%. So, you know, that's not really going to get you to retirement. Right. So basically we have to start thinking about our savings as slowly losing money rather than actually staying put. Yeah. 
So guys, in other words, if your savings is just sitting in a savings account in a bank, it's not really working for you in the long term. Yeah. Yeah. Which, Which I'm like, I'm now hearing that and I'm just like, <laughs> okay, noted. <laughs> I thought I was doing so well. All right. Let's level up then. <laughs> okay. So I was going to ask, I mean, uh, the next question uh, to kind of move on from that. So we've kind of broken us down of how do we know when we're ready? So then what are some of the key things that we need to think about before we start investing? So I think there are four main things you want to keep in mind when you are making investment decisions. Um, so the first thing um, that's very important is your investment timeline. So thinking about how long you're looking to invest uh, your funds for. Uh, and the reason that is very important is because, um, you know, the amount that you're looking to set aside for retirement versus um, a sum of money that you're looking to set aside for buying a house in two or three years the kind of investment portfolios you want to build for these different goals will be very different. Um, and the reason for that is this. So when you're looking to save for retirement, you are not looking to really touch that money for the next 20 or 30 years, right? Um, and you are able to ride out kind of what we call the short-term volatilities in the market. Uh, and you can actually afford to take on a little bit more risk as compared to, let's say, I want to buy a house in two years. I probably want to keep that money in a more what we call a conservative portfolio. Um, so maybe investing a little bit more in bonds where it tends to be less volatile so that at the end of two or, two or three years, when I need to put the down payment on my house, I know that my money will be there. Um, okay. If you compare that with retirement goal, you know, you, you have more time um, to, to kind of not touch that funds and you can write out the recessions, you can write out the market corrections to hopefully get that higher expected return over the long term. So, so that's one, uh, your investment timeline. The second thing is your risk tolerance. Uh, and this is a very personal thing, right? So you can have someone growing up uh, the exact, exact same way as you, earning the same income, the same age, um, but they may just be an aggressive investor and you, know, you might just be a more conservative investor. So the most important thing is to choose the right risk appetite for yourself so that you know you're not kept up at night watching your phone if markets go down 20%. Um, and you know, one thing that we kind of uh, preach is that you know you want to choose the right risk appetite so that you don't sell at the worst possible time, right? If you if you panic, you see markets go down, you might actually then sell at the worst possible time, which is when prices uh, are actually at its lowest. So okay. that's the second thing. Uh, and then the third thing is to kind of build a diversified portfolio, uh, a portfolio that is, you know, not just very concentrated in, in one asset class. So you want to not put all of the eggs in one basket. But this is the logic of it. You want to kind of spread your eggs around, uh, make sure that you are investing in multiple uh, asset classes, different types of asset classes. So maybe, um, you know, spread out across um, the US. So maybe you want to invest in certain US sectors like communications, technology, um, maybe you want to get exposure to Australian equities, Canadian equities. Um, so basically building a well-diversified portfolio. And finally, keeping my, in mind uh, the fees that you're paying, which can you know really eat into your returns. So making sure that you question um, whoever is trying to sell you an investment product, how much fees um, you're paying for uh, that product. Um, 
I want to go, I, I just want to add one question to what you were saying about keeping a diversified portfolio, not putting all your eggs in one basket. And so you talked about different asset classes, like how, how do people start to think about asset classes? How do you pick which ones you want to put some money into? So one of the most, okay, so I'll probably go through a few different types of asset classes, the most commonly uh, known ones. So the first one is stocks, right? So you typically hear about Apple stocks, Facebook stocks. Uh, in, in Singapore, Singtel stocks, for example. Uh, and this falls under the basket of what we call equities. And, and it, in itself, uh, that as a whole is an asset class. Um, and then the next asset class is something called bonds. And that is actually a debt instrument. So meaning when you invest in bonds, you're basically lending money to either uh, a company or the government. And when you invest in it, you basically get periodic interest payments. And at the maturity of the bond, you get the amount that you lend uh, to the company or the government back. Okay, so when you're when you're investing in bonds, you're basically lending money. If you invest in equities, you're basically um, you know kind of becoming an owner uh, of the company. So you get an ownership share in the company. Um, and what you're trying to get by investing in equities is that you're trying to get dividends. So when a company is doing well, it pays a returns uh, to to the shareholders, and that's in the form of dividends. Uh, and then the second way is in the form of capital gains. So the price difference between, um, you know, what you bought the security at and what you sold it at. Mm. So these are the most two commonly um, known ones. Uh, there are other types like real estate, um, gold, um, and, you know, all of this would form part of a very well diversified portfolio. Okay. So, I mean, there's a lot for us to kind of take in there, especially if you're someone coming from a field where you have no background in finance or what those terms mean. So just for our listeners tuning in, guys, if you are one of those who are like, whoa, whoa, that was a lot of terminology at once. I just want to refresh some key phrases in there um, of the key things you want to think about so that maybe on your own time, now you know what to focus in. Um, so just kind of recap what you said. Four things that people need to think about is their timeline risk tolerance, diversification, and the last one you said was fees. So someone tuning into this, right? I'm thinking about our listeners here. If they really need to sit down one-on-one -on -one and just kind of get a full briefing, where can they go to really just get that information? Because again, information is so available, but it's also really intimidating when there's just so much you don't know where to zone in. Where would you recommend someone to be like, okay, just sit me down and talk me through this? Us. <laughs> basically me and marissa yeah we're the idiot's guide to personal finance welcome <laughs> i mean there are many option, options out there right now um i think one of the um kind of up and coming option uh, that is gaining a lot of popularity is um you know kind of digital wealth managers right so they basically uh digital wealth managers build portfolios for you um based on your investment goals your current financial situation and your risk appetite. Um, they help you think about, you know, which portfolio might make the most sense for you. Uh, and also digital wealth managers help you think about how much you, can, you should actually save every month to reach a particular goal. So this is uh, one option. And typically with uh, digital wealth managers, the fees tend to be a little bit lower as well um, because they are leveraging a lot on technology um, to automate a lot of processes. Uh, and so generally they can keep their their, their fees much lower than um, a lot of alternatives out there. Um, 
And if you if you have no idea about kind of where to go, um, another option is maybe to talk to speak to um, a financial advisor, um, and they might be able to help you build the same kind of more personalized investment portfolios based on different goals that you have. Um, but typically, financial advisors, because it's a little bit uh, more one-on-one time that they spend with you, um, you might see a little bit higher fees. Uh, and some of the products that they might recommend to you uh, might potentially be higher in fees as well. Yeah, because I think of when I think of financial managers, I think of I'm going to need at least like half a million dollars in the bank to sit down with one of these guys and get their full attention. Because otherwise, they're going to be looking at my piggy bank being like, just just go home. Take the bus. <laughs> like literally bring your piggy bank. And be like, now what? <laughs> Do I smash it? Is that where we begin? Um, but guys, there you go. Just like so we can point you in a direction if you are newbies like me and Marissa. Um uh, uh what's it called? Financial advisors and digital wealth managers. Just a suggestion for you to go towards. Okay, so then when we figured when we figured out our timeline, risk tolerance, diversification, and the the fees we're sort of willing to pay, then what do we do? Like, how do we take those ideas and our boundaries when it comes to our like investment, and then begin? So, I mean, to be honest, the, the great thing about digital wealth managers is that typically the barriers to kind of starting is relatively low. Um, so, for example, with Stashway, um, we do not have any uh, minimum deposit requirement. So you can start with any amount that you like. A lot of other players out there, I guess, have uh, very similar um, options as well. Uh, or their minimum requirement is, is much lower than what you would see um, with other financial advisors or the banks. So this is uh, typically a good way to start. And one thing that I try and recommend is, you know, for people to just try it out. Start with a small amount. Um, just you know, put it in the app, see what it looks like. Uh, and then obviously with time, as you get a little bit more comfortable, when you see how things look like, you can see, you know, everything in the app, you can see the prices of your portfolio move. With time, as you get more comfortable, then you can slowly start investing a little bit more. Okay. And when we're looking at something, because I've, I've used Stashaway only recently, because I mean, my birthday is next week, I'm turning 29 and realizing I know nothing about personal finance, which is why I'm really trying to get on it now. Um, a lot of the timelines were like five, 10, five, 10, 15, 20, other way, like up to like 30 to 50 years of investment timeline. So obviously it's more of like a long game. What about, I was just going to ask, like, what about, what about the people who are looking at, like the faster form of investment where they want to, you know, they want to buy low, they want to sell high the moment there's any kind of market volatility, like the people who want to be a lot more bullish than have like a long-term investment game. Yeah. So I think, um, so one thing that we talk about quite often and, and we tell our, our clients as well is to not try and time the market. So that's what you mentioned, right? Try and okay. buy low and sell high um, because at the end of the day, it is very, very difficult to do so. Uh, and I'll give you kind of some stats to show that. Um, so there is a study um, looking at active fund managers over the over the past 15 years. So active fund managers are people that, you know, for their day jobs, what they're doing is spending all of their time thinking about the best um, securities to add into your portfolio. So whether they should add um, Apple stock in their portfolio, should they add Facebook stock in their portfolio? So they're looking at the numbers, crunching the numbers and deciding that for you. 
Um, and more than 90% of active fund managers actually do not outperform their benchmarks. So, okay. so you're paying a lot of money for, you know, fund managers that are not actually be- beating the market index. Actually. So, so, I mean, if you look at that, you know, the experts are not able to achieve uh, kind of above benchmark returns. Um, you know, and then you look at people that, you know, probably are doing this as uh, kind of uh, a side thing and on you know, in addition to their day jobs, it's probably a little bit more difficult for them as well. That kind of gives me some level of confidence. Like, oh, no, we're all idiots at this. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, there's no expert who's nailing it every single time. It is a lot of just trying to estimate and ballpark and make educated guesses rather than knowing how to master it. Yeah. So, I mean, what we, what we, what we tell our clients is to actually do, you know, two things. First of all, not try and time the market. So maybe invest in something like what we call an exchange-traded fund or an ETF. And an ETF basically uh, invests in the exact same thing as what is in a market index. So you're just trying to replicate the return of a market index. And so you're not trying to beat the market. You're just trying to buy the exact same thing that's in the uh, in the market index. So if you, for example, uh, invest in an ETF that tracks the S&P 500, uh, which is an it's a market index that uh, represents the 500 largest securities in the US. Mm-hmm. Uh, if the index goes up one percent, technically your ETF should also go up one percent. So ETFs tend to be you know more lower cost because it's not trying to beat the index. They're not they don't have a lot of overheads um, to do research of what to add to the portfolios. It buys the exact same thing as what is in the market index. So that's the first thing. Um, and, and yeah, to just set a long-term investment plan, um, not try and decide or, or think about when is the best time to enter, just, you know, set up a standing instruction, um, maybe for every month, uh, and just stick to that, right? So when we do get started and then we put in our initial amount, cause you talked about this at the very beginning of, um, of this topic and you said it's all about compounding. So is it better for us to kind of generate a whole bunch of money and then just drop it in there? Or is it better for us to put in a smaller amount and then just continually top up and top up and top up? Yeah. So that's what we would recommend. So typically, um, we do a lot of these seminars. Uh, we do you know, seminars on personal finance and investing. And after these seminars, I typically get approached by people and they're super excited to get started. And they're like, okay, I want to start tomorrow and I want to put you know, $100,000 into my account. Uh, and it's probably bad marketing, but that's not something that we would actually recommend, right? Uh, and we instead, we would actually recommend that you spread out that investment over a period of time. Um, so maybe, you know, in $10,000 deposits over 10 months. Um, and, you know, so this is something, this is what we call kind of dollar cost averaging. So you don't, you do, typically what happens is that uh, you tend to buy um, more units when prices are low and less units when prices are high. And over time, you're kind of averaging out the buy price um, of that security. Okay, so then, so then I'm thinking in terms of like that's a that's a lot of mental admin to note like to take note of every single time you invest. Which is, I mean, that's why I understand the merits of a digital wealth manager that essentially does it all for you and it's all automated, like you said. But then, can we go into like the pros and cons of both? you know, DIY investing and using digital wealth managers? Like, what are the merits of just doing it yourself other than, you know, the fact that you won't have to pay fees? Yeah. 
So, you know, typically with uh, a digital wealth manager, as I mentioned earlier, the fees are generally quite low. Um, so in itself, um, the management fees actually includes a lot of the costs um, that you would have to otherwise pay yourself if you were trading yourself. Um, so, for example, at Slashway, our management fees includes uh, all the transaction fees, all the custodian fees, all of the brokerage fees. Um, if you're doing this yourself, um, every time you buy and sell, you typically might have to pay kind of a transaction fee, so a percentage mm-hmm. of, of that trade. Um, you might have to pay brokerage fees, uh, platform fees, custodian fees. So these are additional costs uh, that you might want to think about. But perhaps if you know, you're able to find uh, an online brokerage platform that is charging much lower and much uh, low, very low amount of fees, and you are not intending to maybe trade as much, uh, then it might make sense for you to, to go with that DIY approach from a fees perspective. Um, and then secondly, perhaps if you you know you want to do this, uh, you're interested in learning about investing, you're interested in thinking about um, how you should build your own portfolios, um, you know, investing yourself. Um, might make sense as well. Um, but, you know, if you're looking at a digital wealth manager, um, you have um, a team that is obviously very experienced, um, that has done this for years and are mm. building a very sophisticated asset allocation strategy for you. Um, okay. So you don't really have to think about it um, and everything's managed for you. But if you do enjoy doing it um, yourself, obviously, you know, you can, uh, the DIY approach might make sense for you. Um, so I, I don't think there is, you know, I think there are a few ways people can go about it. It's not uh, an either or. You can obviously also go for both um, mm-hmm. where, you know, the digital wealth manager might be a good complement to your DIY portfolio as well. Um, and I would say other pros that you might want to think about with uh, investing yourself is maybe you have more uh, specific investment options. So let's say you just want to invest in one particular security um, you know, investing in yourself might help. Um, with a digital wealth manager, because the investment portfolios are built for you, um, you you obviously have, you know, less flexibility in that. Yeah. But you are kind of banking on the fact that uh, the wealth manager knows exactly what they're doing. Uh, and so you want to do a lot of research on also um, the sophistication of the investment framework as well as the team behind uh, the company. So then I guess for those of us who are essentially just getting started, a digital wealth manager is like the low entry point. It's great for beginners because it's user friendly and we can trust the expertise that we definitely will not have built up for ourselves just yet. So maybe personal investments, like well, direct investments, something that we should consider farther down the line when we become more comfortable, you know, reading about what different markets are doing and what's going on. Yeah, so I think it's, it's a good place to start. It's a very helpful. I mean, you have obviously a whole team that helps you do that. Um, but something that, uh, so it's not just for beginners, right? So something that would surprise most people is that, um, actually we have a very large high net worth uh, segment as well. Um, so even people that typically invest with the private banks and have, um, you know, a personal relationship manager, they do see the value of a digital wealth manager, um, because they understand that it's the same sophisticated investment framework at a much lower cost. But then one question I do have is, so obviously, if you are investing it yourself, and you're doing it directly, you kind of, you have less confidence in terms of whether you know exactly what you're doing or not. But you know, you know, at any stage, 
I'm getting cold feet. I'm going to pull my money out. But then how does it work with a digital wealth manager? Like, are we equally able to just get our cash out if we get nervous? Like, how do, or God forbid, you know, the wealth manager goes under and our, our cash is locked in the system. How do we, because I feel like that's another fear other people have, especially given how technology companies and especially automated processes don't always exist for the long term. And if they cave, then what do we do? That's that's a very good question. Um, so for most digital wealth managers, they actually do not have any lock-ins. So no withdrawal fees, no withdrawal bank fees. Um, you can literally invest today and a week later, if you don't like it anymore, you can just pull your money out at no additional cost. So there is a lot of flexibility in that as well. Uh, and then secondly, with regards to um, you know your concern that you mentioned earlier, this is something that we do hear a lot just because it's you know very new and, and most people have not heard about it. Um, so one, so perhaps I can just give a specific example of Stashway. Um, we have what is called the Capital Market Services License with the MES. Um, so it's one of the most strictest licenses you can get with very stringent requirements. Um, and as part of getting this license, you have to have what is called a custodial structure in place. So meaning when you invest with us, your cash and securities is, you know, kept unmingled from ours. And at no point in time is it, you know, ever mixed up. Um, so your cash is actually kept at a custodian bank. HSBC is, is the one in particular. And your securities at another custodian bank. Uh, for us, it's Citibank. So if tomorrow we go bankrupt, typically what would happen probably would be that a liquidator would be appointed to kind of uh, coordinate the orderly redistribution of the securities and cash to our clients. This is fascinating. I'm getting into yeah. finance. <laughs> <laughs> Look at us, girl. I'm so proud of us. <laughs> yeah, because I think it's I think it's just it's taking a topic that is so generally intimidating to a lot of us. Whether you're a man or a woman, it doesn't really matter. And breaking it down in a way that not only does it become easier to access and easier for you to get started and take care of it, but also to pique your interest a bit. Because honestly, like I'm fascinated now with how our financial systems work and I actually want to go and study it. It's a bit late. I already went to university, but maybe I'll go again. But that's the thing I think we're learning as we go on this journey to just learn about finances is that it's never too late. Right. And I think that's what the thing that we want to just also instill in our listeners, you know, if you're feeling guilt or if you're feeling a little worried that you haven't maybe jumped on the wagon and sometimes at dinners or, or drinks, people are talking about it and you kind of go quiet because you don't really know where you, where you stand or if you have the confidence around it. Just there's no shame in that. Like this is a better time than ever to start picking your interest. And who knows, maybe next week you'll be like Marissa. <laughs> <laughs> To be fair, guys, like a month ago, Marissa and I were like, huh, what? And now we're less, huh, what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start an investment club. If anyone wants to join, send me a DM. What's going to happen? But, you know, I think that is a good way to to like have some fun with this. And really, though, Marissa said to me and because she's in Singapore and she was like, oh, I met with our friends and, you know, we were talking about it with the girls and all of them. All of us are in really similar boats. And she was like, why don't we do it together? Why don't we have like a club where like we can share what we learn and we do this together and we have fun at, like at, as we go along? Because it's true. It's it's really about how you kind of like 
approach any topic that once may seem intimidating. It's just a mindset to have fun with it and just change that attitude that it's something that we don't know about. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, Amanda, before you go, can you tell us and our audience, you know, where we can get more information and resources, like whether we should, you know, download Stash Away straight away, should we check out their website? Like, what do we do? Yeah, so I mean, you can check out our website at www.stashway.com. Uh, or we, we have a mobile app as well. So if you want to check that out, you can do that. Um, but I think in general, there are many options out there. And what I would say is to, you know, whichever uh, option you're looking to go for, make sure you do your due diligence. Um, keep in mind the four things that we discussed today when you, when you are looking at uh, the different investment products. And, uh, and I say this to everyone, right? Even if you're thinking of whether you should invest in Stashway, grill us, ask us the difficult questions and make sure you understand what you're getting into. Um, you know, a lot of times people get very enticed by how much money they can make uh, and they don't ask the right questions. They don't do enough uh, research uh, and they end up kind of being stuck in, in, in a pit, right? So yeah, do, do your research. Um, and if you want more information about Sashway, you can visit our website. Awesome. awesome. I have one question though. Since we were talking about creating like an investment club, Anna, do you want to do you want to join ours? Like, can you lead Anna, it? Do you want to? Can, can you like? Can you come? <laughs> like, we'll have wine, and you can you know we can make a girls thing out of it. Absolutely. I'll give you my piggy bank. You just run with it. You take it where it needs to go. <laughs> no, absolutely happy to do it. And actually, that's something I do with my friends as well over a bottle of wine, just because it's you know fun to do when you're with friends, something to talk about. Uh, and especially when there's wine involved, it's always much easier. Yeah, yeah. but more bullish decisions, I think, come with alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be noon and all of us will just be there with our wine glasses like, invest yeah. all of it! <laughs> but we'll be millionaires by 5 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. There we go. All right, Amanda, thank you so much um, again for coming on, like Marissa said. And guys, if you have tuned in all the way to the end of this episode, like always, we will include all the details you need to follow up in the show notes. So just click on below. And yeah, thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button, the follow button. You guys know the deal. And we'll catch you with a new episode when we release it. Thank you. Guys. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Bye.